2: Back to Amazing Avenue audio of the show. I am Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about a number of things the Mets did, but we're going to start by talking about a thing the Mets did not do. And that is the Mets did not sign one Gio Gonzalez. Gio Gonzalez signed a one year, $2 million deal with the Milwaukee Brewers with an additional $2 million in incentives. Supposedly, Gonzalez chose the Brewers because they were more. Uh, open to him being a starting pitcher, whereas the Mets mentioned that he might be working out of the bullpen. So, Chris, obviously it's hard to get inside of negotiations we don't know much about. It's also hard to get inside of the mind of a player. But how silly is it that Gio Gonzalez did not sign with the Mets today?
3: I'd say very silly. And, you know, the thing is, it's not just that he wound up somewhere else. You know, they, they could have been involved just as much as any other team. And, you know, then the tiebreaker could have been that he went with the other team for, you know, another reason, but, uh, yeah, everything we saw from the beat reporters was basically that they just, they being the Mets were not really interested, you know, um, after the signing came out, you had the justification that he he was marginally better in their eyes than Vargas, and that just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it,
2: it's I don't know. In the interest of full disclosure, we should say that Vargas's last two starts have been considerably better than his first couple. That's saying very little because right. he's pitched very few innings in those starts, but he has only given up was it. One run in each start. Or did he even give up one yeah. in the last start? I think he did. Yeah, I think it was one in both. But
3: even after the first start of the season, the concept that a guy, a starting pitcher, gives you four or five innings where you're in decent shape and that's a success—that's not. That's not sustainable, right? They they have a few guys who might have trouble going deep into games. You can't have one who has a best case scenario of four or five innings.
2: Not unless you specifically have a caddy to go with him. Right. Which they're not going to do because I don't know why, but it seems like the Mets are not interested in having a caddy with, with, with uh, Vargas for whatever reason. Um,
3: Yeah. Uh, Seth Lugo has sort of turned into it where you know it's some games, it, and it makes sense. You're down. It's a close game. He comes in and pitches a couple of innings. But it's tough to do that only on Vargas
2: days and then make him a late-inning reliever on other days. Exactly. You need to have somebody with some sort of established – and I'm not like an established role bulk pen guy necessarily – but if you're talking multi-inning more than two innings, then you need to have a guy who specifically is that multi-inning guy, your long man. Essentially. Um, yeah, Vargas, I mean, his stuff has has looked again better the last two starts. But when we're talking, I mean, they pretty much said in the broadcast both times that the Mets, unless they have to, do not want to have him face anyone. A third time through the lineup, and that's just that that's that's not a very sustainable starting pitching plan unless you have a couple of guys in the bullpen who you feel comfortable pitching the you know the entirety of the third time through the rotation through the lineup rather. You know, if you sort of construct it in the average game, you get three, you get four, four and a half times through the lineup most times if Vargas is only responsible for the first two, you can't expect the bullpen to get through the next two without, being bl- without just blowing out their arms. It's just it's, it's unrealistic to expect that every fifth day when they're also expected to, to be a regular bullpen the rest of the time. And it's not just Inix. It's
3: You go back and look at what they've done. Gio Gonzalez was not anywhere near ace level. Uh, last year, and that's okay. He he threw a lot of innings. Uh, He averaged far more innings per start than it looks like they can get out of Vargas. He had a much better ERA. He had a much better FIP. He was clearly better than Vargas. He's three years younger, and I don't want to hear and i don't think we've heard it specifically from anybody who gave a justification to the press from the met side of things but i don't want to hear that his minor league stats were bad uh with whatever time he spent you know before he uh opted out was released the that combination of things with the yankees so yeah it's just it's tough to see them being so stubborn especially with the timing of it all. It's not like Gonzalez became available at a time that everything was firing on all cylinders and Vargas was pitching well and they hadn't needed to use Chris Flexen, who had a terrible start. (laughs) That all happened just before Gonzalez was released. So to just ignore it and to learn that it's, it's about playing time, and I'm sure even though it was only 2000000 million, I'm sure money factored in. It just sucks. Gio Gonzalez was not going to be the savior of this team. But getting that much of a swing and performance in your fifth starter is pretty significant.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredibly significant. Like you said, it would be one thing if there were – a couple of reserves in the minor leagues the Mets felt like all right you know our 6th and 7th starters we feel really confident about this weekend Chris Flexen was the 6th starter and he looked like garbage now that that could be an isolated incident i'm not saying Chris Flexen will Chris Flexen will never be good but you know if you guys listen to our um our minor league show from complex to queens They laid out a really compelling case for why Flexen was going to have a better year this year. They talked about his weight loss and, you know, just generally why they felt that he was poised for a big season. Well, that could still happen, but in his one start thus far, he did not look very good. So, unless you want that guy to be the sixth starter coming out of the bullpen, coming out for your team. You better start thinking about how you can improve the pitching staff, and we're not even talking about Dallas Keuchel, who's go, you know. Although we we've talked about him in the past, you know, he, there's a guy who's likely going to need a multiple year deal for dollars that maybe the Mets aren't comfortable spending. That is still foolish. We're not saying it's not, but when Gio Gonzalez, a pitcher who is still better than Vargas, and ultimately still cheaper than Vargas, even though you're you're still on the on the books for for Vargas' the salary. You know, if you're talking $2 million for Gio Gonzalez, That that's a real steal. You, you take that. That's a way to make the team better right now.
3: Right, and one of the other justifications that was out there was that the Mets were hesitant to take a, a significant contract and get stuck with it and having the guy out there and all that. Like, what? Come on. This is not by Major League Baseball standards in 2019. The contract he signed was not significant. It's somebody who you could cut if if you needed to. Jason Vargas should be that guy. And I look, I get not releasing Jason Vargas. Sure. Because somewhere they know that it's not pretty after him. Not right now. And by ignoring the fact that capable major league pitchers have been available this entire time, Gonzalez was a brief window uh, between, you know, his Yankees release and signing with the Brewers. And and that was obvious, but Keiko has been consistently available. Gonzalez was out there and, and it wasn't a shock. The Yankees were at a point where they were saying that they were pretty comfortable with their rotation. And, he got to a point where he was able to seek another job, and that's exactly how it played out. So I don't know. Some some combination of things probably has him thinking that Anthony Kay or uh, David Peterson is going to do enough in the minors and show them that hey, I'm ready to come up and I can be the guy to push Vargas to the bullpen or out of the rotation, or if there's an injury, I can be the guy to step in. But yeah, it's just, I don't know as much as third time through the order, getting back to the point you made on that was talked about a lot. And, you know, it's, it was somewhat trendy to look at it and say, maybe all starting pitchers shouldn't do this. You you can't go in to every fifth game knowing that you have to account for that, and you can't do it with a bullpen that we also talked about a lot over the last few months. That it's that sure it was upgraded, but it's top heavy, and if Lugo and Gazelman are are you know the guys that you can go to in those situations, sure, but. There are also guys who need to factor into the other ones.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, there there are so many things that that spin out from this. You know, again, like you mentioned the, um, you know the the maybe no starting pitcher should go three times through the lineup, and I am not opposed to that way of thinking. But this team was not built for that way of thinking. This team was built in a traditional. Your starter should go minimum six innings. And then we have the back end of the bullpen. You know, like you said, a top-heavy 7th, 8th, ninth inning guys. And then hopefully you only need to use the other pieces in the bullpen sparingly. And so they don't get overexposed for the maybe, you know, second-class parts there. There's no offense to any of those guys, but, you know, that's the reality of the situation. So I... I legitimately don't know what their game plan with Vargas is besides just start him and cross your fingers. I don't even know. It's it's a it's a really bizarre thing. It's bizarre that this team can be so clearly negligent in one area of its of its construction to have clear cheap options in front of them and to still do nothing about it. Yeah, uh, the Mets. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, look, I, I suppose there is every chance that Gio Gonzalez is is washed up and will will not be a good signing for the Brewers, and maybe then we'll take some solace in the Mets, uh, you know, avoiding that bullet. But people that are saying that already to me have have sort of missed the point about all this. He's a lottery ticket. Take the lottery ticket.
3: Yeah, and that they already have a lottery ticket that lost.
2: Yeah, that too.
3: It's not the same as I don't know uh, pitchers who are on bad contracts. I hate to always go back to it, but it's you know it's not the same as Oliver Perez, who is making more money. Uh, quite a while ago, per year, uh, on a longer contract. And it took a long time, but eventually they finally came around to the idea that, hey, we might be better off if we just let him go. So, uh, I don't know. It's You're in this weird spot, and maybe this sort of defines being a Mets fan. You're in a weird spot where night in and night out, there are guys on the team who you're going to root for. I mean, you're rooting for all of them, really. You want to see them win. You want to see them succeed. And at the same time, you can be kind of aggravated, infuriated, whatever, you know, however extreme you want to get with it, uh, with the organization as a whole and the front office. And I think it's funny sometimes you see, the I think, with any team, you'd have a wide range of fans who are loyal to everything the team does and will defend everything and then, on the other end, criticizing everything the team does. But it's entirely possible to be frustrated with what the Mets are doing on a larger operational level and also root for the team and the players who are there,
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is, you know, part of that is every fan base, but it's especially true for the Mets. Um, And especially true for the Mets in, you know, it's so easy to forget that the Mets at one point had the reputation of overspending on players. Because it just seems like it was so long ago that that happened. But man it's just so frustrating from I'm struggling to even put this into words I guess what I'm trying to say is you know there are so many times we've looked at our team and we haven't had the resources or the available players to improve it in the way that we wanted it to it's incredibly frustrating to have both those resources and the available players and the Mets are not taking advantage of it
0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life.
2: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, let's get off this depressing topic <laughs> <laughs> and, let's, and let's talk about something else. Let's talk about Todd Frazier. Todd Frazier returned to the Mets this week. Punctuated his return with a grand slam last night behind Zach Wheeler, who had himself a game. We should talk about that. You know, uh, 11 strikeouts, a home run, and a two-run double, threw a 100-mile-an-hour pitch, hit a 100-mile-an-hour ball, you know, Zach Wheeler had a day, but, you know, but but Todd Frazier's back, um, you know, he's, he's, he's playing, you know, a bit, and it seems like he's going to get at least the bulk of the playing time at third base for now, at least until Jed Lowry is healthy, so... Overall, what do you, you know, we talked a little bit last week about sort of what the Mets plans were. Once Frazier came back, now that he is back, how do you feel about him being more or less your everyday third baseman right now? Overall, it's fine by me. And
3: I don't know. What's the best way to put this coming into the season. I think a lot of the people who were angry about the J.D. Davis trade, and had strong opinions about the trade and and the player he was and all that, all of a sudden fell in love with him. And admittedly, his major league track record coming into this season was small, and what he's done so far this season, sample size-wise, is small. Uh, But, yeah, it's which one is it? And I've doubted him. I didn't hate the trade as much at the time that it happened, mainly because it was sort of, uh, okay, sure. (laughs) They traded some guys for this guy. Okay. Uh, But, yeah, I'm not going to be outraged at him losing playing time. And if they were going to play him, I'd want to see it be in the outfield. You know, he's, he's shown that third base is not his specialty hitting the ball a long way, hitting the ball hard. That's all in his, uh, in his arsenal. But he has not shown himself to be defensively capable of playing third base, not at a major league level.
2: And, and especially not at a major league level ahead of a couple other players who could play it much better. If there were no right. other options, you could, you could fudge it with J.D. Davis. But when you have Jeff McNeil and Todd Frazier and soon Jed Lowry, you can't be starting him with third base, Right. So if
3: Davis were in left field, McNeil was at third. And and I think that would probably be the argument against Frazier. But since the Mets are not doing that uh, in the context of how they've played those two players, I'm okay with Frazier getting time. And overall, he might be about the same hitter as Davis. We don't really know yet. Uh You know, we need to see Davis play a lot more to figure out where he's at. Uh, And at the same time, Fraser had a down year with the bat last year, but I don't think we should just say that that's who he is now. He's only – he's still 33. He's not 38. Right. And, uh, yeah, I (laughs) – it's funny how this all works because back when he was hitting – a lot of home runs with the Reds. A lot of Mets fans coveted Todd Frazier. You know they they wanted him instead of Lucas Duda at a certain point. And <laughs> it's just funny how that works. Uh, I don't know, it, but right now he's definitely the more capable defender at third. He's got a good major league track record, not a spectacular one, but a good track record as a hitter who hits for power uh generally ends up being better than league average. So, yeah, we'll see. But in a month or two months, especially if Lowry ever comes comes back or makes his Mets debut, really, uh, that could be a situation where you go, okay, maybe there's a logjam here. Maybe they need to trade somebody and... Work it out. But I don't think they're at that point yet. And I don't know. I I think you can still learn enough about Davis. Without him playing every single day. You know. If it's a seven game week. I think I'd like to see Fraser play five. And Davis play two. Something like that. Uh, A little more. I mean I'd like to see Alonzo play every single game. And that's not particularly directed at Tom Smith. It's just how exciting Alonzo is as a player, but I'd be cool with more of a split than what the Mets are currently doing with Alonzo and Smith.
2: Yeah. Uh, I I do want to say one thing. We we briefly touched on this Todd Frazier situation last week, and there were some people uh, not directed to our show in particular, but just talking about people being down on the idea of the Mets having too many good players. And I, I definitely understand where, you know, that position comes from. You know, you want the mess to have as many good players as possible. I think the difference is that for a lot of those people, they were talking about how with all those good players you, you know, utilized properly. That's a really powerful thing for the mess to have. And I agree with that, but to make that work, you need a manager who's going to utilize those players properly. And I think the problem with Mickey Calloway is that he has given no indication that he will do that. Right. So when you're talking about having too many good players, I think that can become a code word quickly for part-time player Jeff McNeil or everyday third baseman J.D. Davis. Instead of a manager using those players in a way that keeps them fresh and keeps them active and keeps everybody playing a little bit, I think it can be very easy for a manager like Callaway to fall into trends of playing certain people all the time. And so my problem with, with having Frazier on the team is not having Frazier on the team. It's what I think Callaway's response to having Frazier on the team is going to be. Yeah. And those are very different things. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right, well, let's... Um... Let's talk a little bit about defense, Chris. So both of us have a player that we are a little bit concerned about defensively. Why don't you go first and tell listeners who's your sort of uh, defensive fear of the week?
3: So it's ironic because I've spoken positively, and rightfully so, wasn't wrong at the time, but positively about Rosario's defense and the fact that he just looked more comfortable. He wasn't making mistakes on routine plays, uh, just kind of looked like, oh, okay, this is going well. And then he made, I think, seven errors over the last week since we last recorded, six or seven errors. Uh, I didn't see all of them, but saw one of them tonight, saw another throw that wasn't so great, and you just kind of go, uh. like, I, I don't think it means he's not a major league shortstop by any means, but it's a it's a situation you don't want to see, especially from a, that, that defender, and especially after it was encouraging to see him come out, start the season and just look very comfortable, so I think he can put it behind him I, I think what he had done defensively up until this recent stretch was uh, a sign that he could do that over a longer span of time but it's it's a little frustrating because you just would like to see him truly break out in one aspect of the game.
2: Right. And it's especially tough because he's so young and it's hard to remember how young he is. Right. But, you know, like you said, when you see such improvement happening earlier in the season to then have a week like this is just very, very rough.
3: Yeah. And, you know, if he made those errors and he was hitting really well, that would be one thing. But that's not been the case. So, yeah, all I'm hoping is that either, well, obviously I'm hoping for both, but <laughs> but either he only makes an occasional error and significantly improves with the bat, or he stays around where he is and the defense is solid, if not well above average. So, yeah, we'll see. I, I like him. Um, I'm still nowhere near giving up on him as a, as a player. But I don't know. It It's rightfully been a bit of a story in terms of concerns the Mets should have.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I am currently a little bit concerned about Wilson Ramos's defense. Now, we know I sorry, we knew going into the season that Ramos was not an elite defender. But uh on the broadcast tonight, Gary Cohen reminded us that last year, I believe it was 27 wild pitches that Mets pitching through, and this year they've already thrown uh 11 now granted a wild pitch is more the fault of the pitcher than the catcher you know pass ball for catcher wild pitch for pitcher but those things are pretty subjective and even if the wild pitch is the pitcher's fault a good defensive catcher will get in front of that and will prevent it from being a wild pitch they will they will take a a badly thrown ball and they will put their body in front of it or position themselves in such a way that the ball does not get past them Ramos is not doing that just yet. He has looked uh, very, not just bad behind the plate in terms of letting balls get away from him, but whatever agility he at one time had behind the plate seems to be totally gone. But most troubling to me is is how poor he's been at blocking pitches. There have been a number of pitches that looked, and again, I am no scout. I do not profess to be have good eyes in terms of baseball talent at all. But some pitches that, to me, looked very blockable have not been blocked by Ramos thus far. And with a pitching staff that already is bad about holding runners on base, it just seems like the combination of that and a catcher who's going to box around the ball, you're going to see even more people running on the Mets. And that's that's not a good thing, because that is one area of their game that the Mets have really not improved on in the last couple of years. And it would be nice to see them try and find a way to improve that, even though aside from getting a new catcher, which I'm not advocating for, by the way, uh, I don't really see how they do that. Yeah.
3: Well,
2: (laughs) this is the, the witty commentary they come to us for.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. It's, I mean, hey, look, the Mets are in first place in some years. uh, And even now, I'm not taking that for granted. Some years I would basically just say they're in first place to everything until they weren't. But this division is playing in such a way that these little things matter. Uh, Upgrading your fifth starter, even if you thought it was a marginal upgrade, that might be the difference between making the playoffs and not. And I do think coming into the year, you had a little bit of an attitude, uh, not just from the Mets, but, oh, the NL East is strong and one or both wildcard teams might come from it. That There's no guarantee of that. You know, they do all get to beat up on the Marlins, but if they kind of play evenly with each other, that cancels out some of that. And it's... I guess if I wanted to compliment where they're at, uh, slight lead in first place with most of the division right behind them, this far into the season, sure, it looks like they are a team that can hang in there. But fixing these things, whether it's bullpen management or your fifth starter or your sixth starter um, or – passed balls, wild pitches, or Rosario's errors. All those little things can add up pretty quickly and there's just not that much margin for error. That's you know, it's exciting to to look at it and say everything could
2: go well, but it's definitely a high-risk proposition. And look to the series in St. Louis to see when everything doesn't go well for the Mets. Yeah. That wasn't that long ago. That was just a couple days ago. And the team looked like garbage for most of that series. And, you know, that's that's the reality. That's what it looks like a lot of the time. And, yes, Mats was brilliant this week. Yes, Wheeler had a really good start yesterday. Yes, Vargas wasn't a dumpster fire today. You know, DeGrom's going to start Friday. Syndergaard had the flu. All these things are, are true. None of them are excuses, but they are reasons, and it's good to have reasons why things happen or don't happen, but ultimately, the pitching's, the starting pitching has the potential to be very, very good. The lineup thus far has been good, but when you have the opportunity, and we have we fucking broken records here, when you have the opportunity to improve the parts of your team that are deficient, and you have the opportunity to do so at an affordable rate with good players to not do so when you claim you're all in for this season is just very, very insulting,
3: yeah,
2: <clears throat> yep, and I think that is
3: that's ultimately what's uh, uh frustrating. I keep coming back to the word, but it's what it is it's ultimately the thing that makes you go. Uh, they if they tried just a little bit more and you don't know how the other teams would have reacted but if they went and signed one more good relief pitcher this winter uh, if they went and signed a starting pitcher and just said you know what Vargas didn't really look like he was going to work out last year
2: um, all or hold those, on to Vargas throw him in the bullpen See how that goes. Yeah, you know, I am not advocating for getting rid of Vargas because you still do need those those extra starters in the wings. Yeah, but yeah. Well, let's um. Let's start to close shop on this depressing episode of the podcast. The, the Mets just took two of three. DeGrom's elbow is fine, and we still find a way to make it depressing. I mean, it's the Mets. There we go. <laughs> so do you have a music recommendation for us this week, so, guys?
3: Yeah, I'll go with a blind recommendation. Uh, the album comes out on Friday, the 26th. Uh, what kind of fan would I be if I didn't recommend it? Under these circumstances, but King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard have a new album called "Fishing for Fishies" coming out. The uh, the songs I've heard from it so far are definitely unique in in their catalog. Obviously, uh, their guitar heavy stuff is my favorite, but screw it, man! Like they're they're having fun. One of the songs, "Side Boogie," uh, is extremely catchy kind of get stuck in your head in a good way so i will go with the blind wreck of of that record and celebrate that release
2: i was going to say if you didn't recommend king giz this week or next i think you're going to lose your uh number one <laughs> north american fan status um i'm going to go with a very different wreck than that <laughs> nice. um so i i have a a real affinity and this is something I got from my dad for um, for the Beach Boys, but but specifically for like the weirder later period Beach Boys. I, I'm not really a fan of the Surf and Safaris and the whatnot, but once we get to Pet Sounds and and the, I really like some of the oddball albums that came after that. And uh, late last year, the uh, Capitol Records released a couple of sort of deluxe editions of the late '60s. Beach Boys records with alternate, just all alternate versions. So this album is called um, Wake the World, The Friends Sessions, and it came out at the end of last year, and it's 32 songs, and some of them are instrumental, some of them are acapella, and they're just these really weird Beach Boys songs that, that. and, and when you take them apart and you separate the vocals and the instruments, they get even weirder, and uh, I really think it's it's some remarkable stuff. I'm really enjoying it. Nice. So Wake the World, the Friends Sessions, the Beach Boys is my pick for this week. And, uh, yeah, so thank you guys for listening. We hope you're enjoying the Amazing Avenue family of podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this show, which means you get all the shows, which is super fun. We will not be having an Amazing Avenue in conversation this week, but we should be having one the next few weeks. We have some really interesting and exciting guests lined up. Um, I don't want to say too much more because, in case they fall through, but uh, right. we, we have some exciting guests. So you should definitely look forward to that. Go to amazonavenue.com for all your Mets needs. Please follow the show. I mean, sorry, the site on. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Please email us, aaaudiopodcast at gmail.com. You can find this show on Megaphone, which is our new hosting platform. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, I believe. And, uh, you know, I'm sure wherever you get your podcasts, you can find this show. And you can find me on Twitter at Brian Eden App, Chris on Twitter at Chris McChain. And until next time, let's go Mets.